This is Jocko Podcast number 243 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. It's a different world when you get home. I mean, at some point while you're over there, you accept death. You, you give away normal life. You give away the normal world. It's probably just a coping mechanism of some kind. To just accept your fate. To accept your fate that the world is war. That the world is dirt and blood and pain and death. And you have to accept that. At least I did. And I'd be lying to you if I said that I didn't want that acceptance, that I didn't want that attitude. Because the world, the normal world, the everyday world is a complicated place. There's all kinds of things going on. family and friends and mortgage payments and bills to pay and a future to worry about and retirement and savings and the kids and the list goes on but in war that's all gone there really isn't even a future nothing else matters Nothing but the mission and the men. That was my concern. Did I think about my family? Sometimes. I had other things to think about. I know things to worry about bullets and bombs and blood and shit and life and death. And you go through it. You get through it. Some of you do. Some of you don't. And for those that do make it through, one day, just as quickly as it started, it's over. Get on a plane, 
and you fly home back to the world and on that flight home I only think about one thing that I didn't bring home all my men and then the door of the plane opens and we're home and then 24 hours the flight time you go from Ramadi Iraq to San Diego California at least physically you do mentally it's gonna take a little bit more time to come around but you soon realize that you are alive and you have a house and a wife and kids and mortgage and a future you are alive and you are thankful And you want to live a life that honors your friends that didn't come home. And then it's let's go. Let's get it on. Let's surf and fight and drink and eat and play guitar and run and roll and surf some more. Let's go. Let's do this. We're lucky to even be here. full on for me much of that time the surfing and the rolling and the eating and the drinking and the jamming on the get box was spent with Seth Stone the Delta platoon commander He bought a house a mile away from mine. He was like an uncle to my kids, part of the family. And you know, he's a, a, a much nicer guy than me, much friendlier than me. Always made friends. And before we left on deployment, he had somehow linked up with a guy by the name of Gene Cooper, a legendary surfboard shaper. And Seth got Gene to make us some boards, some epic boards. And when we got home, we got those boards and we rode them. And through Gene, Seth also linked up with a a guy named Mike Black that made a, a surf movie. If, if it can even be called that, it's kind of a crazy surf movie called Invasion from Planet C, the sci-fi surf movie. 
it was it was unique it was kind of wild and funny and insane and just kind of completely crazy and maybe that's why we liked it because it had some good surfing in it made us laugh it also had some good music in it some real good music one song in that movie was called madman was by a band called the white buffalo and we heard the lyrics to the song and they made they made sense to us there's one section of lyrics that says like an animal out of his den you better hide your money you better hide your children you can't keep your fear at bay because the madman's roaming these streets today. The madman's coming. We got that. We understood what that was all about. And the White Buffalo songs were in some other surf movies along the way, one called Shelter. A song called Wrong. Knew some other guys in there. Joel Tudor was in that movie. So Seth figured out where the rest of this music came from and we started listening to this White Buffalo. Came like a little soundtrack. Because the music and the lyrics and the sound and the attitude was somehow... Somehow it was about us, about what we had seen, about what we had been through. About what we were going through. I don't really, I don't really remember exactly when we went and saw the white buffalo for the first time. I know that we saw him one time at, at, at UCSD in some kind of cafe, and there was probably about 12 people there. Saw him at the Casbah in San Diego, the belly up a few times. Eventually, we saw him at bigger places, like the House of Blues and the Observatory. And we knew that somehow this guy, he got us. And I remember the first time we saw him at the Casbah. It was the last time we saw him when there was a, a pretty small crowd. But it was a small enough crowd that everyone that was there knew who he was. There was no people wandering in. They knew, they knew who the white buffalo was and they were there to see him. And people were drinking and people were carrying on. And they were talking and laughing. And then the PA music faded. Then the lights went dark. And then he walked out on stage. Alone. And he played. 
he started strumming that guitar. Breathe. 
raving free The red, white, and blue I wish it was true And when he got done playing the place was silent for a second. Seth and I were standing there like everybody else. Then we looked at each other. We smiled. The place went crazy. We did too. It was a good night. It's a good memory. And memories are all I have left of Seth now. And those songs. And those are some powerful songs. And it's an honor today to have the man behind those memories and behind those songs the man himself, a man named Jake Smith, otherwise known as the White Buffalo. Jake, thanks for coming down, man. Thank you for having me. No pressure on that set right there. <laughs> that was intense. <laughs> yeah, man, um, tell me about it. Yeah, it's lots of stuff wrapped up in, in the songs that you write. It's um. It's kind of crazy when I think about all the time that I spent sitting there listening, playing them, listening to them, going to your shows, uh, you know, just being some random dude. We almost got into a fight at the belly up one time. Some guy was <laughs> talking like just just mad dog and Seth and Seth was like six two, you know, and, you know. I mean, I know I look like a serial killer for sure. <laughs> Seth, not quite as much because he's too nice. But still, he's a strapping dude with a shaved head and cauliflower ears, right? That's generally not a go situation for scraps. Oh, no, That's a sign. Yeah. <laughs> so at Belly Up, we're standing there and this dude's kind of nudging into Seth and Seth's kind of looking at him. And I'm standing behind the guy which in the jujitsu world means I, I can kill you. <laughs> you have no, you have zero chance. But it didn't happen. Uh, but, but lots of memories, man. It's awesome, to, it's awesome to have you come down here. It's I my appreciate pleasure. it. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about you, man. Enough about me. I've been talking about myself here for a long time. Let's hear about you. All right. Um, so you were born where? Up in Oregon? I was born in Eugene, Oregon. And what, what was that all about? Were your parents working up there? Uh, my dad was still going to school. He's a college professor. And he was, um, I think he was still working on his master's at that point. And we moved down to, uh, he might have been working on his PhD. And then we moved down to Southern California, Huntington Beach, uh, when I was maybe one. Uh huh. And he continued that uh, at Pepperdine and did some student teaching. And then we were there for maybe since I was one until 20. Dang, Malibu. Yeah, we didn't live there though. Oh, <laughs> but he, uh, we lived in Huntington Beach, which is all has its. Yeah, Huntington well, Beach cool too. But I mean, let's face it: if you lived in Malibu and you surf Malibu all the time, you probably wouldn't not. be here right now. I probably wouldn't. <laughs> you, it would you'd be a, be a whole different perspective. <laughs> 
So, so you 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 grew up in Huntington Beach then? I did. And what was what was the situation? Your your dad's a college professor at Pe- Pepperdine. Uh, no, my dad was a college professor at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Oh, I see. So he did his student teaching, or he finished his his uh, PhD there, and then moved on to. Cal State Dominguez Hills, what Carson. Does he, what does he teach? He taught uh, public administration. His uh, what even is that? Right, you know, it's <laughs> tough to explain. Right, uh, I think it's like the study of city budgets. I think a lot of policemen take it. Uh, city planners. It's like uh, in the political science world. Now, what do you think makes a man? Say to themselves, they're looking at the courses and they're like, there you go, public administration. That's calling my name. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and it, 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 you know, I mean, he's interested by some odd things like that, but I, I it's, it was surprising, uh, not surprising, but it, yeah, it is. It, it's a, one of the lesser known, um, you know, uh, pedagogies or, you know, it's not, it's not a normal, when you say what that is, most people say, what, what, what I what said. Is that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What I said. You know, what about your mom? What was she up she to? She was a nurse. She was a labor and delivery nurse. Oh, dang. Uh, brother and a sister. Have. You have a brother and a sister. Correct. Older, the, younger? I'm the youngest. You're the baby. I'm the baby. What does that whole thing work out? You know, that whole that whole thing? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where you're the, so now you get coddled and everything, and I mean, you're the spoiled kid? It's, it's it, was, it was part of it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And th- how far from the beach did you live in Huntington Beach? Um, I live, we used to take the bus to go surf okay. when I was young, um, two miles. Oh, that's not, that's not bad. You not could beach far. cruiser that all day we, long. We could, but we bust it or got dropped off for the, the most bus part. was easier than a beach cruiser. I don't know why we bust it. You know, it's a weird, uh, yeah, I, I think it was all BMX. So oh, it just okay. wasn't an option to have the rack and whatnot. You know? <laughs> did they have, did they have them? Or you had to carry it under your arm back then. Uh, I don't even know if they had the racks back then. Yeah. Now you get all kinds of racks. You're good to go. BMX right? or not. That's true. I think they, they can, uh, how much were you surfing? On any, um, I surfed quite a bit, but I just, it wasn't something that, um, I picked up super easily. It was the age of the small thin board where oh, I'm, yeah. and I'm always been a big dude and, and to ride, you know, I'm Kelly on a, Slater's board. Right. I'm on a six three and I'm six two, you know, and it's like some wafer thin thing that I can't you know, I'm sitting out in the lineup and I'm up to my tits yeah. in the water and uh it's not gonna float me. It took me a while to just go like, I mean, I, I should probably get a bigger board. Yeah. Something that actually can I can paddle in the waves. Yeah, that's and a, that's a big mental transition to it make, is. man. My buddy Josh Hall just made me a board that's eleven six. Whoa. And it is the it's I it's the thickest board I think a human could make because <laughs> my son was telling him what I wanted and and they were doing this like as a secret surprise for me right yeah was that cool like yeah, a secret surprise behind my cool. back so my son was telling him hey you know and Josh had some ideas and my son's like no the biggest thickest board you could possibly make and Josh Hall delivered big time yes, you sir. you got to try that board i got some thick boards too i got a couple one, one of mine looks like a paddle board but it's not a paddle board <laughs> yeah. like, it's a, it's a it's a surfboard for a bit for a large man right we'll say so you uh and i know you played you were a freaking hardcore baseball player right i was that was kind of my dream as a child ended up playing college baseball division 1 baseball had a scholarship to play baseball what position did you play uh until i was a senior in high school i played shortstop um, so I was on the more athletic side of, especially for a big man. They thought I was going to be like, uh, and the next like Cal Ripken, like, uh-huh. you know, and he, he was, you know, big 
Uh, That's know. a big statement you just made. They thought I was going to be <laughs> the next Cal Ripken. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't no know if they, I don't know no how, many, how many people <laughs> they were. People. <laughs> no, but that was they were grooming me for that idea. But then we actually had this young kid who came in as a shortstop uh, who was a sophomore or something. He was this little phenom. And then I moved over to third base. Uh-huh. Well, I didn't, I didn't play. Ba- well, I played baseball. My dad wanted. My dad liked, really liked sports a lot. That's why my name is Jocko, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't like sports as much as him at all. Yeah. I like machine guns, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but my, you know, I would get put into sports randomly. Oh, you know, go play Little League. And I was on the Braves. Hell yeah. Echo gets into this kind of thing. <laughs> but I just wasn't, you know, wasn't really, wasn't really my thing. So years later, I went and talked to a professional baseball team. And when I was growing up, I remembered the baseball players. It seemed like most of the b- baseball players that were pros they were like these little guys, right? Like little Dominican guys, little Puerto Rican guys that were fast and everything. And when I went and met with this team, which was just a few years ago, they were freaking monsters. Now, they were all huge, yeah. Oh, they're massive now. I mean, it's a whole different. Is that a new thing? Yeah, I mean, if you look, even if you look at you know footage from you know the 80s, even early 90s, they were way smaller. How much practice did you play? I mean, are, are you one of the, because sports was different. Like nowadays, you, if you're a kid and you're gonna play sports, your parents are like, cool, you're gonna do that sport, you're gonna play it 365 days a year, you're gonna, you're gonna get coaching, you're gonna get some private whatever, uh, uh, hitting, batting coach that's coming work with you when you're, you, the kid's like, oh, we need a batting coach. And you're like, yeah, sure, no problem. Okay, here's my son, he's four. <laughs> Right. Was it like that for you? Uh, not I mean, so much. I mean, I did do ball. extra stuff, and I did, uh, you know, did extra work with hitting coaches and fielding coaches, and uh, it was definitely a big part. I mean, it was a. I wanted to be a major league baseball player when I was a kid, and my dad. I come from kind of a wrestling family. My dad was a wrestler. Oh, dang. My brother was Respect. a wrestler. Right, and uh, but there, he's not a ball sport guy at all, and so he was kind of always blown away by the idea, like, how did this. Where did this child come from? You know that. You know, he used to say that he could he'd throw a ball at me, like when we were young. My brother's like a year and a half older than me. He could just throw a ball at me when I was like two, and I would just like reach up and snatch it. Freaking Conor you know? McGregor reflexes. Probably hit off my you know, hit, hit off my brother's chest and land on the floor. But uh, but they had you know they were they were hard nosed guys. You know, my dad's a, was a badass. You know, what, what, how old were you? Started playing baseball. Actually, my dad wouldn't let us play. He thought it was too political when I was uh, young, just with all the bullshit. Wait a second. Around. I have no idea what you're talking about. How is baseball political uh, in 19, what is this, 1985 j- j- or something? Kids. Yeah, probably. I mean, I was born in 74. So, yeah. uh, you know, um, it was just a lot of uh, tension, oh. kids. Oh, uh, you mean political like the f- the the dad with the kid, the, the, the dad, the, mom, the kid, the, the, and the this. emotions of that. He oh, thought yeah. uh, like soccer was a better game, a better oh, family dude. sport, that kind of thing. So we played soccer, and then he finally he budged earlier because my brother was older, and we always wanted to play baseball. And then he, I mean, I, I was like minor bees. I was like I was still quite young when I started playing. How good was your brother at baseball? Yeah, he was fast. <laughs> Damn, bro! Talk about the freaking hammer of destruction! Ouch! I guess the ball was hitting him in the face when the old man threw it to him. No, huh? he, he was a wrestler. I mean, it was a, di- a different. Oh, your brother wrestled. My brother wrestled too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did. He wrestled. Uh, my dad wrestled in college. He wrestled at uh, Oregon State under Dale Thomas, Dang. and then coached some at Oregon as well as Oregon State. 
and my brother, uh, he he just wrestled in high school, uh-huh. but he was good in high school. Yeah, and yeah, wrestling in California high school is no joke. Yeah, he was. It's, good. The, it's the largest wrestling tournament in the in the world. I think he was CIF champ. I want to say my brother. Yes. So Respect. He was, he was good. Props yeah. to your brother. So, at what point? What was your? What was you know? You're dealing with music. It was late. I mean, it hit me super late. I was probably I say I tell the story and I don't even know the actual how. <clears throat> what were you listening to when you were a little kid? Uh, we were country music fans. My parents were crazy about country, and it was all country all the time <laughs> in the in the <laughs> station wagon. And we would go see country music concerts. Um, it was kind of the transition time of country when it was getting. Not over the top cheesy, but uh, you know it was like Alan, in Alan Jackson was coming in, and and it was getting a little more sticky than it was kind of these heartfelt mm-hmm. songs of my youth. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was all it was all country music. It was odd for you know a kid to be um, until I really got to high school yeah. was uh, exclusively country music listener and and kind of proud of that fact. <laughs> um, but then I got real into punk when I was in high school. And where'd that come from? I'm not entirely sure. There wasn't really some kid name. There, there was a <laughs> whatever. That no, was like, there hey, was my check this out. One of my buddies who used to take me to school in the morning. He was more of a metalhead, uh-huh. and uh, I don't know exactly how I got. And so he would listen to you know, would listen to Metallica and Danzig and Anthrax, and uh, and then I started listening to punk. But I was it was more of the Southern California mm-hmm. stuff. It, you know, I started kind of getting into hardcore stuff, and then that's when I got a guitar kind of, yeah. uh, but I was more like bad religion, circle jerks, descendants, stuff that was a little more melodic maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? Um, and then, uh, I got a guitar. We'd go drink beers at my buddy's house. Um, and his dad would play John Prine songs and some of the quirkier kind of Dylan songs. And I was 18, 19 mm-hmm. maybe. And, uh, I was like, oh, let's go get a guitar. When you talk about music, I don't know if you think this. I think this. When I was younger, like within, when I met someone, shook their hands, hey, nice to meet you. Within the first, let's say, seven to nine minutes of talking to someone, I would say, what kind of music do you like? (laughs) Because it would be like a straight up indicator, it would tell you a lot about them. And nowadays, like sometimes I meet you, know, I, got, I got four kids and they're all whatever, 20, 19, 17, and 10. And for a while I would say, you know, well, what kind of music do you like to these kids? And they're just, it's so, it, there's so much music. Right. There's so much music out there that it's, you know, you know, you used to get the weird avoidance answer to that question. It was like, oh, I listen to everything. everything. Yeah, yeah, I listen to everything. Right. And I used, to, I used to say, okay, so you, to me, that used to mean to me, you have no personality. <laughs> If right. you don't say, bro, I like I like Nordic death metal or whatever, then I know I know you. I right. know who you yeah. are. Yeah. Or you know, I like the dead. Okay, I know who you are. Or whatever. You know, I like uh, whatever hair metal, Leif Babin. <laughs> so so it used to identify kind of like who you are, right? Sure. I mean, it was even part of the fashion. Like you you couldn't really like everything if you were into one thing. Right. That's what you looked like. You had the big hair, or if you were in a punk, you. You know, maybe look like a skinhead if you were in, you know, you wore the the pants. If you were in the country, you had the pants with the <laughs> stitching, uh, you know, or it's like, it, it, yeah, dude, not, it was almost an identifier. Yeah. And, and, and then people nowadays, there's just so much 
music and it's so accessible. So when I was a kid, in order to get music that we wanted to hear, we had to go to New York, maybe, we, we had to go to a good record store, which they just weren't all over the place. There's one in Waterbury, good, Brass City, get some. Um, but you know, we'd go there and, and the, but the, that was part of the inhibitor. The other part was money. Like it costs $21 for an album. And you know we just didn't. So I, I, you know I, I love music, and I had probably, I don't know, thirty albums that I just listened to over and over and over again. And then you borrow one from someone, and of sure. course we got the little, yeah, yeah. we got tape cassettes too. You'd get the dub tape cassette. Oh yeah. But even that was kind of hard to get because they would all sound like crap. Not that we really cared that much. I mean, let's face it. Nowadays, everybody kind of listens to everything. There's a lot out there. Not to mention the cro- all the crossover. Mm. See what I'm saying? You got country and you got what the Nas kid who's, you know, Old Town Road. You know, they got we got cro- a lot of crossovers is what I'm saying. So you could, you're just opening it up even wider. Even more. Oh, even, yeah. Now you really are listening to everything. See what I'm saying? Things are getting crazy. <laughs> crazy town. So it's kind of upsetting, though. <laughs> it's upsetting. Really, like when they start rapping in, in country. They do throw you for a loop sometimes, It's just yes. like, this is not. I don't know. You're saying that's upsetting. Echo doesn't seem upset by that. Uh, he doesn't. Hey, I'm just observing the landscape of music at the time, at the moment. Bro, let me, let me tell you, look, Echo's a, a decent guy. Thank you. When, he, when we go places, he drives. I ride. Which means he gets control of the uh, music situation. Yes. Which is a problem. For you, I can see how that could be. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, did, so did you get? So you said you played D one college. So you get into college. Did you get into college? Where'd you go to college? I uh, went two years at a junior college in Huntington Beach, Golden West College, and then I did two years at St. Mary's College, which was uh, in the East Bay in Moraga. Um, same league as at the time, at least, was uh, like Pepperdine, Santa Clara, Loyola Marymount. Uh, San Diego, wait, UC San Diego. Okay. Um, that league. And, and and did you, so is that when you were talking that you got a guitar or was that still in high school you got a guitar? It was prior to that. So okay. probably when I was 19, probably about when, I don't know if it was the summer between my senior year in high school oh, and college. Your or, dad held you back. You were old, right? <laughs> I was not old. <laughs> I was not Dude, old. Dude, the hardcore uh, uh, wrestling like families, their kids are going to school. They're like starting. They're they're graduating when they're twenty three years old. <laughs> <laughs> That's the no, way. No, but works. he but he's a college professor, so I think education was it was equally, okay. as, if not more important to him than okay. uh, than, than our you know dominance in sports or wrestling. So, <laughs> dude, wrestling's crazy, man. Right? I mean, I know. I mean, my kids wrestle, and it's like it's mayhem. It's mayhem. You want to talk about political? Your dad's talking about soccer. Come to a freaking wrestling <laughs> tournament. It's insane, man. It's insane. Go to the state championships in Bakersfield, California. It's insane. It's awesome. Okay, so you're so you're still in high school and you're 27 years old. <laughs> no, so you're still in high school and that's when you go. You hear you hear a little bit of uh, acoustic music that you go. Oh. Yeah, just my friend's my friend's dad would play. We just drink beers, and he would hang out, and he would play just just songs. And I was like, "Oh, it looks easy." Oh wait, oh, so he was playing guitar. He was playing guitar and singing oh, himself. Got it. He wasn't got playing it. records. He wasn't spinning records. He was actually singing and playing them. Sam Bulo. Damn. And uh, yeah, he wrote down a few chords for me, and then I was on my way. I kind of didn't. I didn't even really learn songs. I started writing songs almost immediately. 
with not and not with the with the agenda to be like oh, I'm gonna be a, a musician, a songwriter. I was still a, a baseball player. That was still the dream, you know. And uh, I don't know. I just kept writing. Were you feeling any any of the burn the baseball burnout at that point? Yeah, totally. I to- <laughs> I had I had it. No, and I, the, the, you I mean, had rea- it in fourth grade. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, the reality of it is, in high school, I was still super serious about it. Once I hit junior college, I was less serious about it and didn't even, wasn't even that great. I don't think. And actually, uh, what what happened to Cal Ripken over here, bro? (laughs) (laughs) You know, he started, I don't know. He started smoking weed and surfing during the summer, you know, I mean, at that level at division one, everyone goes to Alaska or somewhere, some far off place playing summer ball all the time. And I never did that ever. Mm. I would just surf and hang out at 20th street with my buddies. (laughs) And then, you know, they go, and I come back from summer and they're like, you had a shape, you know, like, but, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't, I, I had kind of lost the love for it a little uh-huh. bit, but then when they're going to pay for my college education and they saw me at some all-star game that I, and I went off, you know, I hit like a home run and two doubles or something like yeah, that and yeah, saw yeah. that I was, uh, could move, move well for a big person. And, uh, I got a scholarship out of that. And so I was like, well, okay, a couple more years. It's not going to hurt anybody. You know, it was actually really fun. So, th- so then you, you, so when you got your guitar, you're still in high school and you're immediately writing songs. Like you had that, you had that thought that, uh, I, I kinda, from my, my interpretation of that thought is, it's a pain to try and learn what someone else is doing, but if I just make something up, then it's a little easier. Was it, there any of that it, there? It, it, it may have been. That's like the story of my whole existence. It's kind of just the easiest path to something. And I'll be like, oh, well, you didn't even really try that hard to be doing that, you know? And I'm assuming you never took any lessons or anything? No, I never did. I never took any lessons. I mean, the first song I wrote, I wrote a song when I knew, and I knew, uh, like E minor and and G, mm-hmm. and then wrote a song, like about suicide or something, like something super, <laughs> but like a narrative about like some guy jumping off a building or something. And I was like, why is it? And I wasn't even that disturbed as a child. You know, I was like pretty, <laughs> I was pretty happy go lucky. But um, yeah, just and he immediately started writing. Kind what of was the name of the first song? It's called The Jumper. Dang. Has it ever been released? No, and I, I I was trying to remember the the lyrics and it's I mean they're not they weren't as nearly as crafted as they are today, you know. <laughs> well, you got me beat because I think the first song that my band we had a bunch of bands when I was a kid and uh, the the name that we've kind of, that's kind of has survived is Bronson's Children named after Charles Bronson and even though we never made an album and even though we did record uh about 15 songs in the studio, but more important than that, we made cool T-shirts. So we had these cool T-shirts that we have them on the we have them on the Jocko store. They're they're just a picture of Bron- Charles Bronson's face, nice. and then underneath in little kids like uh, toddler writing, it says Bronson's children. You know, with like a backwards R type thing. But I think the first song that I can remember was there was this weird televangelist dude that was on late night TV. His name was Dr. Gene Scott. Oh, I remember with the big Yes, yes, that's him. That's him. But public access. Yeah, public access. He was kind of, he was kind of like one of these people. He sort of berated the audience kind of, right? Right, I think he was like the gateway between like Donahue or Maury Povich or whatever, or whatever that. I don't even know. But anyways, we would watch him. He'd kind of berate his you know, you need to donate now. It was one of those things. And there's the, there's the whatever. And so the first uh, song in Bronson's Children was a song called 
Dr. Scott, get off the air. <laughs> yes, and there was a great little chorus where, where it was, get off the air, and then someone was in the back going, get him off the air, get off the air. There it was. So yeah, so you were beating me, man. You were already going deep early. Yeah, I, went, I went dark super early, yeah. And then, so, so at some point during college, so did you play your whole four years of baseball? Yeah, graduated in four years and played all four years. And then what what'd you what did you major in or whatever history. that's called? History was my major. Do were you thinking you were did that was that any was that just I the easiest thing to it, take? Uh, I, you had said a, I had an inspiring teacher in junior college that made history interesting and so decided to go that path. I didn't really retain much of it. Um, but I some of the time they seep into songs and mm-hmm. whatnot. There'd be kind of period piece songs that I'll write. Um but yeah, not with the idea that I was going to be a teacher. I mean, what do you really do with it, right? I mean, I'm I'm asking you that. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I was still like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, now I got this guitar thing. Oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll do that now. You know, how long did it take you to start thinking? Oh man, I can maybe I can maybe make something work. It took me a long time to even consider myself a musician. I probably had, I don't know. 30 songs under my belt and would play it, you know, I would play at the pub on campus. How, how much practice did you do? Not much. Like, what you got the guitar, did you? Okay, that's awesome. No, I mean, it's still, well, no, it's still, it, it's still a primitive, I still have a very primitive style of playing. Yeah. And there's nothing, I don't really dazzle anybody with, uh, with my virtuosity, you know, it's just like, it's the vehicle for the songs and for the voice and, and, uh, you know, I know I do have my own style kind of, of playing because it's fairly percussive, but it, it's primitive. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I probably break strings more than anyone, maybe, ever. <laughs> On acoustic guitar, for so sure. You pick up the guitar and you, you start writing songs, you start playing songs, but you didn't, you're not one of these people that, like I've known, I had friends growing up where they got obsessed and it was, they were just like learning scales and whatever the hell else you learn when you're trying to get good at guitar, which I... Yeah, I never did. I, I never, never took lessons or never... Yeah, and I, I don't, it's still, it took me a while to go like, oh, this is maybe what I want to do even. And I just kept on writing songs and I started having kind of a catalog of songs. So, so, so when you graduate from college, do, are you, what, did, what did you do? Did you that, that get a was, job uh, at somewhere? I waited tables. I waited tables. I went back and lived with my parents for a while uh, to save up some money, waited tables, and then moved to San Francisco and waited tables, and then with kind of the intention that I was going to go and start hitting the clubs and trying to make some kind of a, a presence of my songwriting or my performance or whatever it was going to be, you know? And uh, what did, did San Francisco seem like the move for some reason? I don't know if because it was close in proximity to where I went to, to college. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why we chose that. Oh, I think my brother had a job there um, that was lined up, and so we went there. Um, and lived together. Me and my brother lived together, and uh, but it was shitty. It was not a good environment. It was when DJ started taking over almost all small clubs. What year is this? This is ninety eight to maybe two thousand two. Okay. I lived in San Francisco. Probably play once a year, twice a year in the corner of some shit dive bar or like at a coffee shop. You know, smuggle some tequila in and ruin the show on the second set. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. But I, yeah. It, so ninety eight to two thousand two. You're up there. You're you're playing occasionally in the back of some freaking whatever. Yeah, you know, and and waiting tables to to survive. And uh, were, were, you, were you were you 
but this was your goal. Your goal was be a musician at this point. Yeah, but it was loose and lazy, kind of, and just not not realized. I mean, I used to not get gigs. I didn't have I didn't have shit. I didn't have uh, so I would make cassette tapes on my brother's through my brother's pioneer. Uh, dual cassette player, Bruh. right? <laughs> through the PA, through the PA, and I would record and I would lay down 10 songs and then I would send them to friends and send them to family for presents for like Christmas or or for whatever, right? And and, that, that, and I had no press. I had no. <laughs> I'm picturing people open up. I'm like, oh, we got another freaking tape. Yeah, here we go, another mixtape. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. This thing's going in the shit can. Oh, that's painful. So so you so you're thinking? Are you thinking that's gonna be a hobby? Are you just thinking, hey, it's fun? I, I want to do it, but I'm not. I don't have the know-how mm-hmm. or maybe the drive really to really know what I'm doing. I mean, my brother was my manager. I saw this <laughs> shit when we found this old tape and it had, uh, uh, we had this little band in, um, in, uh, in Huntington Beach, like right when I had been playing guitar for like six months maybe. And these guys heard me singing. They're like, holy shit, like let's start a band. And they, one guy played bass and the other guy played drums and we started a band called Living Room, right? So this is, Ooh, right? Room to live, deep, but then it could bro, be, very it started deep. in the living room as well, you know? So there was <laughs> yeah. all this, it was silly and we're fucking terrible. And, uh, but on the cassette, it says living room and then boom, no, there's no title to the, whatever the, the little EP thing. It's only cassettes by the way. And, Matt Smith, my brother's name, and his 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 phone number, big, multiple mm. times on the yeah, yeah. So oh, it, was, it was like it looks pretty, bro. All those freaking you know, Hollywood people like, just looking for that number to dial, right? <laughs> they're like, wow, this is Matt Smith. Must be, this guy must have a bunch of clients, probably. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm still trying to figure this out, right? You're in San Francisco. It seems like you are very persistent, but not very focused, or maybe something like that. Or is it just you just didn't know what to do? I, I was I was passionate about writing songs, and I would keep writing songs. So these uh, laughable uh, cassettes that I was creating <laughs> were making their way down. So I actually had a buddy who's in the surf industry, and uh, he was a rep for for uh, some surf companies, and these cassette tapes started going to other people. He, like, he would give one to one and then they would make, it would go cassette to cassette, to cassette you know? Old school viral. Right? Old school <laughs> viral, right? Jake Smith. As, as, oh, yeah. as much as it could be, and that. But wait a second, I'm just gonna confirm this. We're, yeah. in, we're in 1998 or it, 2000? This is before that. Oh, okay. This is before that when I was making the cassettes and Got giving it. them out. So this Got was it. the, this was one, my couple junior college years, I think, that I was creating these cassettes and they were kind of go, yeah. moving around. But I was unaware that other people were listening to them or other people were making duplicates of this. And then I got a call from one of the guys, Shelter, the yep. guy who made Shelter, Chris Malloy, Chris Malloy, yeah. when I was living in San Francisco. And he said, hey, I wanna use one of your songs in one of my surf films. And I was like, what, like how do you know? You didn't know him at the time? I didn't know him, no. Oh, he this was one out. of the, And this was one of just the cassette, went to this guy, to this guy, to this guy, and then he ended up with one and one of the songs he said he wanted to use off this, one of these cassettes. That's freaking and right, I was dude. like, why? <laughs> you know, because I was used to, you know, surf films were airs and, and punk and oh. fast ass music. And they're like, he's like, you know, we're, we're making this kind of more arty thing. And it was just me and, and an acoustic guitar. It was wrong. Yeah, it was wrong. Was a song. Um, and then that. Yeah, because that, that, that was that the was first like time a, I was like, that was oh. like a soul 
kind yeah. of yeah there was transition story and there was story in, in the shelter flick and yeah. the Malloy brothers are all cool guys totally um then so so that happens and then all of a sudden does that give you a little that inspirado gives, like that, you can make that, it happen that, that that didn't even that didn't give me the um th- that gave me a little validation and said like oh yeah maybe I'm doing the right or doing something this this is maybe something to pursue harder they asked me to come and play the um, All these are just you and your guitar. Oh yeah, there's no oh, band, no band, just me solo, and that's part partially of how, why I play guitar the way I do because mm-hmm. I used to you, just fill the space with everything, not with noodling, but just with strumming. And there's a lot of up down and uh, percussive stuff. Um, and then they asked me to play the uh, the premiere of the movie down in San Diego. So I come down and I play whatever thirty minutes before the movie, and I see people singing along to other songs of mine from these silly cassettes, right? And I'm like, what is going on? What is this? And I don't have shit going on in San Francisco. My brother had gone off and was like uh, working at the Olympics or something. So he had left San Francisco and I had this like drunk ass roommate. And I (laughs) packed my shit up and quit my job and then moved down to Southern California and then started kind of fresh, a little more focused, but not very focused still. You know, and then that's it. It was a long road. You know, a lot of couches. Then it was just couches. Then I didn't have another job. So wait. So then you. So you, you said I missed it. You moved to San Diego or you moved to L.A. I moved to Orange County. To Orange County. Yeah. The I, surf industry in there. Yeah. Was that kind yeah. of what drew and, you and to it? It was a weird. I mean, for the uh, the variety of songs I write, which many of them are quite dark, or at least emotional or visceral in a way. That the surf industry I thought was odd kind of place to, to to pick it up and pick up you know go like oh yeah this is you know this might make you cry let's put that in a, in a surf film you know it, it was uh, it was an odd place to start i thought or at least to get kind what, of a, what year was it that you moved down here 2002 oh okay what year did shelter come out um probably around then okay i bet it's that same time. It was it yeah, was pretty immediate after time. after that happened. I was like, oh shit! I didn't just nothing was happening, and I'd been in San Francisco for four years. Nothing was going to happen in San Francisco. You know, I wasn't. Uh, I was idle. I was too idle, and I needed something to push myself. Um, and so I needed to make a change. So you get down here. Then, then what's the next step? Now you're not. Now you're not waiting tables anymore. Are you somehow getting by? Um, hardly, though. I mean, like uh, playing. Every other Wednesday at this sushi bar in Seal Beach, and playing in the corner of this barbecue restaurant in in Santa Ana, and just like tip make, jar out, tip jar making you know between fifty and three hundred bucks a, a pop, and sleeping on people's couches. Stayed at my buddy's house for like maybe a year and a half in their guest room. Now that's a buddy. Super. <laughs> I mean, he's a beautiful man, Scott Marsh. Uh, yeah, no, I'm grateful for that time because it really. Allowed me to, I don't know. I, I, I it allowed me to at least craft what I was doing, and at least get some um, stage time, performance time um, before anything was really happening. And so, how how long were you in that situation before? When's the first time you went into a studio and recorded? Um, Not it, on a Pioneer tape deck. <laughs> yeah, it was after. So it was after Shelter came out. Um, those same cassettes had gotten to the guy, Bob Hurley, who owns Hurley. Mm-hmm. 
and he paid for me to make my first album. And I actually made it with this a surfer up in, or in San Diego, Peter King. Do you know Peter King? I don't King? know. Um, he had a home studio at his house. And I made my first album, which was Hogtied Like a Rodeo, which I discontinued and, and redid at some point in my career because mm-hmm. I wasn't totally loving how it turned out because I was super green and I'd been in the studio. I only knew the pioneer, you know? I didn't know that. <laughs> it was more than a record button. Right. Echo Charles, take note. Right. Uh, but, right? Yeah. You gotta, <laughs> yeah, play and record at the same time. That's right. how you play and record at the same time. Okay, there was some complications, you know? <laughs> but, uh, what, what, what happened to that album? Like, what, what happened to that album that you felt like you lost control of it a little um, bit? Did, did they go and overproduce it or something? Were I, they I like, hey, so. we're going to bring in Jim, you know, Jimmy on the freaking lead guitar and get his Fender in here and start cranking out notes? Yeah, I mean, I was raw, and I, I liked kind of some of the rawness, and it seemed to get a little too produced um, in a way. I would just, like, leave uh, leave town. I would go somewhere and visit some people, and then they would have musicians would come in and play on it, and then they'd be like, hey, check this out. And I'd be like, oh, well, you know, it was it wasn't. I wasn't at the command at all. That's weird. It was out of my hands, which is normally, which is that was the only time I really made that mistake. You know, um, but you live and you learn. And in happenstance, to look back and go like, you know, you discontinue it and then you re-recorded it later, which seems like it was a moment in time. And even if I was green, I think the songs were still good. Um, why I re-recorded it and discontinued that other one, I don't know why. But you can find you try to find that one like there's some like Japanese sites and stuff that don't have that CD, which there weren't that many of them because they were just like uh, that are like five hundred bucks or something, <laughs> just stupid, you know. For this, well, and you could probably get it on the yeah. internet just on easy. the webs. <laughs> so that's so that's the first album that comes out. Does it come out? Is that the right word? No. Did it even come out, or was it just like, hey, it, we're making it? We're it doesn't come out. I sell it at shows. That's it. You know, we have this kind of fictitious label that Bob and this guy Paul Gomez make, and it is, uh, yeah, nothing really happens. I'm still playing at the sushi bar, um, doing that for, and I was in that state for quite some time, you know, (laughs) like two years. Two years of sushi bar tip jar. Sushi bar tip jar. (laughs) Uh, Then what, what, what happened from there that, got you away from the sushi bar and the tip jar? Uh, it was, um, I met, I think I moved up because I met my, my wife uh, and I moved up to um, Los Angeles and okay. met some people, got kind of a manager, um, and we went in the studio and recorded my first EP. Is this? This is just The White, the White Buffalo. Buffalo. And it's, yeah, it's, I think it's five, six songs on that. Um, which was super stripped down. Now, was this um, who who's who's paying for this? You know, who is running? Who bought you studio time? This was a my manager at the time was managing uh, Donovan Frankenreiter. Oh, okay, and I Dang. so he, I would open up for him. I started opening up for him, God. and I would get some exposure doing that. And met the keyboard player, this guy who actually played for the Eels as well. Okay, um, Rusty. I forgot his last name. He went by Cool G Murder, and he was kind of he or had rusty, this, whatever. But he had this like <laughs> he's redhead, had this big like ginger beard, kind of like wispy, you know, 
not a whole lot of hair and uh, call himself Cool G. He was cool as shit. He was cool as shit. What was his nickname? Cool G Murder? Cool G Murder. It says, if you look, if you had that EP and you looked on Produced by, it says Produced by Cool G Murder. Oh, well, I will check that out. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, that, so you record this thing. We're, are we still pre like internet, um, whatever MP3 situations? Yeah, yeah. We're still sales are still. Yeah, I don't even know if we're digital. Yeah, I don't know. Are we? I don't know if it was iTunes and that stuff had had been. I don't know either. I don't think so because I think they date that EP on iTunes as something way later than it actually was. Got it. You know. So so when that album comes out, is it what happens? Is it freaking nothing? Just no factor. Uh, it, I <laughs> independently release it myself, and it's just me selling it basically at uh, shows. And I think when the digital format comes up, I get it up on there, and I'm that's it. Nothing is happening. I ended up doing that for a couple. So you're in that state still, and, and it's still a couple albums, and then I put a couple more albums out doing that in that state almost. Man. What, at what point did you start to feel some forward moment? Like, like, like I was saying earlier, man, I went and saw you at UCSD in like a little cafe and there's 15 people in there. Yeah. And I, it was actually like me, my wife, her friends, our friends, we were all sitting there. Yeah, and everybody's, I remember that. And everyone's like sitting Indian style on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm super stoked. Sure. I'm like, this is so rad. You know, I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's been just this super long haul of not too many spikes. I mean, later I'm starting at later. I mean, it's not until I get, um, you know, probably start, start getting the actual TV licenses where stuff starts getting more serious. And that doesn't come until what year? I was still independent. Didn't have, uh, I had hogtied revisited now under my belt, which is a full length album and two EPs. And I didn't have a manager, I didn't have a booking agent, anything. And my lawyer uh, asked the music supervisor for Sons of Anarchy to to lunch. And said, hey, I got this guy, I think it'll work. He writes murder songs and conflicted emotional songs. You know, that, that and. Um, when you're in that state, so you st- you're in this state, like there's gotta be a point, there's gotta be a thought that goes through your mind of, all right, you know, like this ain't gonna work. I gotta, I, I gotta figure out how I gotta feed my family. I gotta figure out how I'm gonna get a mortgage. I gotta figure out how I'm gonna buy a house. Was that thought in your mind, or was it a good? Were you getting by enough? Were you having? I mean, you, you, you obviously you love playing live. At least as far as I can tell, you freaking love playing live. Is that a good enough time? We're like, hey, this is a cool job right now, and I'm good with it. Yeah, I mean, it was very small means, and 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 I, we didn't need that money, much money to survive really at that point. Um, oh yeah, I remember I got off uh, another surf movie I did. Uh, this one from Jason Baffa called Single Thin Yellow, and I oh, yeah. did a uh, a little piece off that, and that was the first time I ever like wrote to picture. One of the only times actually, and I came up with that song and that idea, and then I. I I redid it and recorded it on my first EP um, and create made it into a, a, a more of a song. Mm-hmm. When before it was just this thing. They used that person that that piece. Like Walmart called me for a commercial out of nowhere too. I didn't have a publisher. They thought I was a publisher <laughs> and quoted me 
some money they were gonna give me. I was like, holy shit, <laughs> cha-ching. Are you kidding me? And I was like, Walmart. I was like, no, fuck yeah, Walmart. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then, and then I, I uh, want that Walmart money, son. <laughs> <laughs> but then I remember I was like, oh wait, let me, you know, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot. Let me pass it on to my manager at the time, right? Who was pretty green. He ends up getting less money somehow <laughs> than I had negotiated initially. That's because that's but still, into but his it was more. Boy. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was, but it was more money than I had ever seen, and it was like, oh, okay, here's, you know, I could have lived off that. That was more money than I'd made probably in the previous four years. Wow, you know, of doing, of doing the music. You so know? you are getting. It's like it's like you're, uh, you know, when you were a kid and you had some girlfriend in in like. She would break up with you, but she would string you along, right? You know that? And people say, don't string don't string people along. It's like yeah. you were getting strung along by yeah, the little carrot. Little, I mean, little there was carrot little, that's yeah. like, oh, I, you know, another good, I made some good tips tonight. Right. Then you get the big call from Walmart. It's on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, then, so that was from Single Thing Yellow, mm-hmm. which is a kick-ass movie. They take this board and they send it around the world. A bunch of different people surf it, a bunch of different wild spots. Um. But this is still, still you're not you know able to just, or are you able to just survive on on being a musician at this point? Yeah, and I was. Oh, that's cool. I had been for for a bit. I did uh, use my college degree for a little substitute teaching, there which was go. hilarious. Oh man, kind of hilarious, but kind of heartbreaking at the same time. Why do you say that? Uh, just you know. Uh, Middle school kids mm-hmm. are pretty dangerous, you know, are pretty confused and, and pissed. And so I ended up breaking up more fights than I was teaching anybody anything or, you know, I mean, I wasn't, there's not much of a, a lesson plan often left for the substitute teacher. <laughs> so you're showing don't. a movie or you're just trying to keep the kids safe. <laughs> I was going to say, don't get, don't get thrown out the window is the lesson plan. Right. So, uh, but I didn't do that 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 long or very very um, very often. Um, when you, when you're in these when you're in this period of your life, I mean, uh, the the songs that you write, the music that you write, the lyrics that you write. I'm I'm projecting my thoughts onto this, but you know, when you're sitting working in a dive bar somewhere playing a gig, and you look over in the corner and you see this character. Is, does that develop into, hey, you know, I, I know what that guy's thinking or I th- I'm thinking about what that person's life is like. Does that add, is it good that you went through this time period of, of where you were kind of struggling through and making things happen? Did you, does that incorporate into your, the, the things you think about? I, I mean, I honestly think the way that I did it um, was beneficial to me as a songwriter, as an artist for this long of a time. That if I would have had somebody come in and go like, "Hey, wow, this guy's—he can sing and he writes these pretty good songs," but like, we can why don't we develop this guy into something else, into a country star or something else? And instead, I was able to be 100% true to the songs I write, the artists that I wanted to be, and never had to do anything that I didn't want to do. It always my vision and always 100% from me, which is super rare these days, especially. I mean, there's like you know a song on the radio, you got. 15 people wrote it, you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of unheard of. And, but I think that this super long haul that it's taken me, and even now I'm still a little secret, you know, it's not like I'm a superstar or people know who I am. I walk down the street. It's Mm -hmm. like rare for me to get noticed. You know, I'm always kind of like put put off by somebody (laughs) going like, Hey, are you, are you, are you the, 
that would be like, oh yeah, I am. And then they'll be like, oh shit, you know, I love you. people that really like me, really like me, but most people don't know about me, uh-huh. you know. Which I'm kind of, I, I, it's a sweet spot, kind yeah. of for me. I mean, I'm not making millions of dollars, but I'm doing okay. I can survive and, and um, provide, um, but I'm not, uh, you know, I, I don't. I can still be be me, do what I want to do, and and not not be, uh, you know, afraid to go out in public at all. <laughs> that that's good. Does uh, <laughs> so, so, so you were just getting to the point where I cut you off and redirected the story in a totally different direction because that was really cool. That's fine. But, but uh, you were talking about the your so you got this manager guy and he knows um the musician director from Sons of Anarchy that was actually post so i had my first guy and i uh first manager one he's actually my second manager but I, uh who was managing Donovan Frankerider mm-hmm. and i ended up touring with him for probably a year and a half when i was with him um, it went to Japan, went all over the world, and this was when he was he peaked, when Donovan mm-hmm. was kind of peaking, and was dude, on, were you just living the dream? It was. I mean, they let me travel on the bus. I was like, you know, we weren't in the sushi bar anymore. You know, it felt good, yeah. <laughs> bro. Uh, so and just to see the world. I mean, not, you're seeing the world, and you're getting perspectives and different. Yeah. It, oh, it really opens your mind traveling. When I was in the SEAL teams, I was on deploy. When I would be on deployment, I would know. In my mind, like every day, I would know that this was like the best. You know, I was kind of just loving life. You know, living. You know, people always say living the dream. I was living the dream. I was d- actually doing exactly what I always dreamed of doing for my whole life. That's amazing. Seems like that's what would be. You know, you being on tour. It, it, it was. I just had low. I didn't have, and I, maybe that's my been my outlook a lot of the time to kind of have low expectations and then not be really that disappointed. Mm -hmm. And even when I'm not getting accolades or I'm not getting, you know, playing huge rooms or, or, but making enough money to be okay and feel pretty okay about what I'm doing and still being true to myself, um, was enough and has always kind of been enough for me. Okay. So you get a pretty good launch. You get a taste of the road, (laughs) right? (laughs) Get a taste of the road, bro. You're there. And and then did that, when you get done touring with that tour, what's the next step? Um, you know, we started, I, I don't know where we were at. Where was I at that moment? I'm probably, the, the next big step is getting the Sons of Anarchy stuff mm-hmm. for sure. That, that, that put me in a place, um, where now I could go, well, after the show, really. I, it was like the third season, I think, they started using my stuff. And how, and so, so you, you, I cut, once again, I just cut you off randomly and said, hey, let's take a snippet. So how did that come about that, that you ended up on Sons of Anarchy? Uh, no, so it was my lawyer, Steve Sessa, who I still have today, uh, invited the music supervisor to lunch and said, listen, I have this guy, he's an unsight artist, doesn't have any management, doesn't have anything, um, puts on his own albums. I think he was a big fan of the show of Sons of Anarchy, and he's like, you know, the conflict in these, you know, it's like the show is basically these uh, emotional men doing t- kind of terrible shit, you know. <laughs> and I have a lot of that kind of conflict in some of my songs too. That it's something that Scott, this guy feels like kind of a badass, but God, he's maybe kind of a sweetheart, <laughs> or you feel for this guy who's really it's a murder song, you know. But you're he's kind of the hero though at the same time, so yeah. it's this conflict. To him, 
was perfect for that show. And then he he gave him gave him my whole catalog basically. And then in not that long at all, they they're like, okay, yeah, we're gonna use this in the next, and you know, in three episodes or something. And uh, but that was a slow thing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that was they'd use this one song and then they use another song, but then they ended up using. I think seven or eight of my own songs that I, they were my own compositions that were already out there. Um, and then they had me come and sing on stuff. So stuff that they would create that was part of the soundtrack. And just how they used music in that show. I don't know if you watched it, but it was very, we do these montages at the end that would be, the song would be part of the, of the story. Mm-hmm. And it would just be these montages, visuals, and they would play the song at full length, at full volume. And it would be in, like another character. And then I think people started recognizing my voice and saying, Man, what is this? Maybe we should go deeper, you know, into this. And at that point, we hadn't, I hadn't been to Europe on my own as an artist. I'd only opened up for people. And you don't really know what kind of uh, legs you have in mm-hmm. places. You don't know when you don't have any history in places. And if you just opened up for somebody, you don't really have history. Because really, you're just playing for their people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then... Shit's going better and getting better, and we go, man, we got to go, we got to check out Europe. I don't know what's, ha- you know, starting to play bigger rooms all over the country, and nobody will, no, no clubs will want us. They never heard of us, you know? And they're like, eh, and then we're like, well, at least we'll, you know, we got a festival somewhere. So we're like, okay, we're going to play this festival in Spain or something, so, but we got to try to play in London and just see what tickets are like, see what happens. So we play this like little tiny room. We're gonna play like a two hundred cap room that sells out in like an hour. And they're like, "Oh shit!" Well, they're like, "What's going on?" And then they like, "Well, let's bump up the room." And then they bump it up to like seven hundred capacity, which was bigger than I'm playing most of the places in the states. And then that sells out in another hour. Dang. And then they're like, "Wow, what's going on?" And then that. So we just went and we played a couple shows in Europe, and then realized like, okay, this is a viable market. Like we can make some money over here, and we have a fan base. And I think almost due to the popularity of that show, um, you know, at that point I signed with a label, you know, small kind of boutique label, which basically was these two guys that that were producers and engineers who produced and engineered uh, four albums. Um, I just just have left now, and I'm on with a different. What label made now. you decide to go? Why did you need? You've been doing it yourself. What made you make the transition? It was not. Um, I didn't, I never had any, even though there wasn't much of a machine behind those other albums and still now, not really. Um, I just wanted to get in the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'd not, never been in the game, you know? And I was just like, it's an island. I'm still kind of an island. But then I was like, I wasn't even in the game, you know? And they're like, you know, I think somebody was just like, dude, get in the game. Like, what are you even doing? Like, you don't have a label? You don't, you know, it wasn't like I had, uh, the know-how or any of the, anything when I'm independently releasing things. No, it wasn't like it was fucking six months set up <laughs> to be like, oh, all right, the album's going to come out May you know, 20th and we're going to be promoting this thing. Yeah. For, no, it was when it was done. What's our marketing <laughs> plan look like for the next album? There was nothing. I, right. It would just go up. It would, I would just put it up. It would be I'd finish something and then I would just put it up, you know, digitally and, and make CDs. So, so then you sign, you sign with these guys? Is that the right terminology? Yeah, yeah. And we did like a three album, four album deal with them. Um, are you the? Uh, um, is this all your decision making? You're the guy. Uh, yeah, I ended up getting my manager 
right when I was signing, I was looking for somebody else. I was like in between. I, I think I'd had like three different managers who were all, I don't want to say hacks, but like they weren't, um, I just did probably, but, but they, they weren't, <laughs> yes, as, you did. they weren't as professional or as right for me. I'll just say that they weren't, they weren't maybe right for me to try to get me to the, another plateau. Um, and now I got Jeff Farner, who's great and, and smart and political and, um, also though, very, uh, in my corner as far as still allowing me to have my vision and, and do what I want to do musically. Um, so right, right before that, uh, we do the deal. I sign with him as well, or I, I bring him on as my manager. Mm -hmm. Been with him ever since. And then you, so now you're officially in the game. Now you're selling out places in Europe. And what does it look like when you get back to the States? Cause it's weird, you know, it's weird how that can happen. And I got some other f friends and that are musicians and like overseas, they're freaking massive and back here, there's just not not action. I mean, it's it's crazy, and I don't even know some markets. I mean, I've never been to South America. Like, if you look on my comments, you look on any YouTube thing I have, every other comment has come to Brazil hmm. or something Brazil. Brazil, we've never been to Brazil. It's mm -hmm. far, uh, it's a little sketchy, right? I don't know uh, when we'll get there. I want to get there, um, you know. But uh, we're doing better. It's a slow build. We we never go down. Mm -hmm. You know, which I appreciate, but still in places like the South, we haven't had that much touring history. I've probably done like two or three tours there, and we're still building that. Um, and is it is it weird because how do you categorize your music? That's part because that's got to be an issue. That's part of the issue, and that that's an issue with labels some of the time too because they don't understand it. It doesn't fit in any really category. You know, even you have this Americana idea. Now, but it doesn't, it's not <laughs> air quotes, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Yeah. It, it just, it doesn't seem, I don't know. It, it, it feels like a, a, I don't belong in that genre either. I mean, part of it does. Part of it's kind of this country, there's country elements, there's rock elements, there's some more aggressive, more punk stuff, there's um, folk stuff, there's ballads, there's, you know, it's, it, it belongs in anything, it's organic. Yeah, and it comes from mostly it comes from three guys playing, or you know, if we put some other stuff on albums. But it's it's uh, we're the most stripped down band that that um, you'll ever see. Really, I mean, other than if it's one guy playing guitar, I mean, it's three guys with no effects. Yeah, there's no vocal effects. There's no effects on my guitar. There's no there's no nothing. It's three guys. So that so that's an issue because you can't say oh there's this. You know this other band that kind of fits in the white buffalo category, and there we can play with these four other bands. We can do a festival or whatever because where do you really fit? At the same time, though, but you can fit in all other little categories ah, too. Nice. There's benefits to that too because nice. I can play a rock festival, yeah, or I can play a country festival. You know, yeah, because uh, you're kind of like your own, you know, your own little thing, your own little genre. Yeah, I never. Hopefully, that I have my own sound, kind of. Yeah, you know, which is ultimately. And not to mention, I think you're the only person that writes murder songs, right? <laughs> right? Or at least ones you could dance Ballads to. Ballads and love songs <laughs> and murder songs. Yeah, oh, I guess that's right. I guess I'm leaving out all my death metal brothers out there who are <laughs> write 100% murder songs. You're the only one out there doing acoustic folk murder songs. Even though, have you ever heard? Uh, what is it called? Viking folk metal? Have you ever heard that? <laughs> Viking folk metal? Yes. Yes. No. They I play like traditional Viking instruments, but they're playing metal. Really? Yes. 
I mean, that's part There's of another group I, you I could come from, in like Viking <laughs> blood. So that might be. Uh, Maybe that's my genre. Actually. I was going to say, it's like, well, it's at least you can slide in there. You can maybe do some some Viking uh, folk metal. What are they called? Festivals. I mean, if they exist, absolutely. <laughs> You're in. probably somewhere in Scandinavia, right? I'm sure there's that going on. So when you when you um when you do do the where do the songs come from? Like the the majority of them, if not all of them, come from just silence from nowhere. You know, a lot of them will be gibberish or something. They just come in out of out of being quiet, and they often I will say something, or sing something, and I will recognize what the important part is or the piece of it that that has some validity or worth, and expand on that one little idea. Most of the time, sometimes I'll sing something that just I don't even know where it came from. You know. It's I can sing a whole verse and a chorus, not not with not with an idea that I'm going to write a song about this. I don't even know what they're about initially, and then I craft them into things mm-hmm. that hopefully have some kind of emotional response. So there's some level of you being on the lookout for a little nugget of goodness that I, you can grab onto and I, plant and I just water. feel lucky. Like I feel like they're lucky little diamonds that come out of fucking the ether. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I, I think my gift is recognizing what those little lucky moments are to go like, oh, let me grab that. That's a good idea. You know, and I do. I, I, I know that I can craft something off of one very small idea to realize how I can turn that into a whole concept or a whole song pretty quick. Um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I wish I had better stories about it. I, I was do talking you, to Robert O'Keefe to do a podcast with him, and he was like, well, tell me what, where were you at? What was this, you know, what's the inspiration behind this? I'm like, this is, no, there's no inspiration. <laughs> it's just imagined, you know? It's like imagination is, yeah, is it's that in, the inspiration? In yeah. But it's not in my head. I'm not like, it's not, there's no um, pre-thought about it, rarely. It's born in your head. Yeah. It just comes from your head. Yeah. That's like the, so I was an English major in college. I'll have you know. So what nice. you're saying right now, what you're saying right now, I'm going to put you on the spot. So what you're saying right now is there was these people and there was all, there's all this controversy and I'm not even going to remember it that well because I really don't remember that much of college. But there would be people that would say, you know, I wrote this poem. Just, it just I just wrote it. And I'm talking like classical, like lit, real famous literature people. Oh, the word is that this person just wrote this. It just came out. And it's like they didn't have to work for it. That's kind of what you're doing. You're just like, hey, I'm over I, I'm rarely I'm over that. here just freaking, <laughs> just developing nuggets of gold. <laughs> I'm rarely doing that. They're rarely that easy. But okay. the inception of them, the beginnings of them are that easy. But some of the time it's a very small little mm-hmm. piece of something. And it's not very rarely. Sometimes I, was, I have sat down in my in my lifetime and and just something spilled out, and then you're like, there "Holy shit, there it is!" Like love song number one is one kind of like that. That mm-hmm. it was off my first EP that just kind of spilled out, and then I was like, "Well, this like what was that? What is that about?" You know, there's even a moment in the song where I'm still like, "What is that even about?" <laughs> you know, and um, and just left it in, kind of. You know, now I, I edit more stuff now. You know. And make every word perfect, or try as perfect as I feel like I can make it, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, and then what's the deal on? You know, what do you owe? 
in other words are you like hey I better get another album out in another you know because you just you just put out your latest album what a few few months ago yeah April April 17th April 17th so now do you start feeling the pressure in your head of I need to do more because I needed to cut another album do you start feeling pressure in your head that you got ideas in there that need to get out do you not even think about it I don't even think about it I, I don't like I I um I'll write here and there, and there'll be little snippets in my phone, but I don't really think about it. Even this last record, who I did with Shooter Jennings, produced it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I didn't have. I didn't think I had hardly any songs going into talking with him and meeting with him. And the night before, we went out drinking like the first time, and mm-hmm. didn't even talk about working together. Really, we were just talking about life and mm-hmm. and just get drunk. We got drunk for like. Where'd four you meet hours. him at? Uh, where 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 do we get drunk at, or where did where'd you meet? Where did you happen? get drunk? Uh, frolic room on like Hollywood. <laughs> well, I mean, randomly. No, no, no. no. It, was, like it was set up. It was like a blind date between our managers set us up, thinking that it, this Got might it. be a match made in heaven. But uh, no, I went in. So I went in the first time to meet him to kind of show him what I'd been working on or something, you know, to develop some songs. And I was like, I don't have shit. I feel like I don't have shit. I woke up the night before uh, and. Uh, had an idea, sang it into my phone, and was like, okay, well, at least I, I can show him that tomorrow, and we'll work on that all day and, and see what happens. Well, I take that to him, I sing it to him, sing him the, kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. It was actually quite realized, but it's like I, my son was like sleeping. I had this little <laughs> tiny studio fucking place for sleep, sleeping in, and my son's sleeping on the, so he's like, oh, like, I can't even make out what I'm saying, but I'm trying to be quiet so as to not wake him. <laughs> And I show him this thing the next day, and then I sing it, and we work it out in like 20 minutes. And then I already have it kind of realized. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, what else do you have? And I was like, oh, I have oh this. And he's like, well, that's amazing. Explore that. And he's like, well, what else do you have? And I was like, oh, how about this? And he's like, that's yeah, do that. Like, explore that. And I would just, and then we just went down. And I was like, okay. And then after that little meeting, I went on just a, like a, I go on little writing tears, little benders. And then I just basically wrote the whole album in about, a week, a week and a half. And before I was like, you know, I have little snippets that are coming in, mm-hmm. you know, but then to realize and then finish them really fast. Sometimes, and sometimes, you know, it's like added, sometimes it's out of just inspiration and a desperation. So the little pressure can maybe squeeze something out of you. Have yeah. you ever been in a point where you were feeling pressure, but just nothing was coming out? I, I had another album, uh, Love and the Death of Damnation mm-hmm. that I remember I used to with the old producers I would go and I would sing I would give have all these ideas and I would come in and they would be like okay yeah let's explore that one let's let's do that work on that one and a lot of time it would be like every one but I'd have like 20 ideas 25 ideas or something like that right and for that album I had like you know it, it was about time to record and I had maybe six ideas mm-hmm. that I played him and they're all kind of like eh, on all of them you know and then I was like fuck it let's just start Wednesday I'm like, what are we going to do Wednesday? I was like, I'll be ready Wednesday. I'll be ready Wednesday. (laughs) And then we just did that one like that. But that was completely out of desperation. And then hit a lucky, uh, prolific time. Little little lucky streak. Yeah. Freaking great album. How did you link up with with Matt and um, Christopher? Uh, So Matt has been drumming... Ben Who's Mike. a freaking animal, by the way? He's a, He's a freaking animal. animal. I mean, as far as I don't think I would be the performer 
I am today without Matt. No, you guys, you guys get, you guys look at each other and you guys just get go off. It's freaking savage. It's awesome. I mean, especially for like an acoustic trio who you would think wouldn't be terribly aggressive, you know, <laughs> and he's just sticks are flying and break, breaking yeah. and shards of wood or, you know, pull, getting pulled out of Dude, women so, and children. At some point I realized that you called him the machine, right? Yeah. And then I would, every show I'd go to and I'd be like, machine, I would get all crazy. But, and then like the last couple times I've gone, other people were yelling it. I was kind of disappointed. I kind of felt like, oh, that. Well, maybe was, you started it. I don't know, I man. Mean, it just kind of cut, just like, machine. Gone yeah, because he just goes nuts. So, how, so I'm sorry, how did you link up with him? Um, that was actually the first album I did for the Hurley guy, Hogtide, uh, like a rodeo. I've had Matt since then. No way. He wasn't on that album, but there was a guy, Tommy Andrews, who's from San Diego as well, who was my bass player for the first 10 years of my career, uh, played guitar on that album, and knew Matt and this guy, Russell Hayden, um, who played banjo and dobro, like the most evil fucking banjo you ever <laughs> you heard. And uh, But it was perfect for it. It was creepy. Evil banjo, bring it. And he'd like wear he wouldn't he he would like dress like Liza Minnelli and like do any eyebrows and he'd be like like fucking awesome banjo player. Um, but anyways, uh, but I met Matt th- through this guy Tommy Andrews and we all did it. It was the first time I ever felt. Before that, I'd only played by myself. Yeah, really, I never played, never performed. Even when I'm in the corner of any place, was always by myself. And that was the first time I was like, whoa, this is what it feels like to really feel and feed off of of other people's energy and playing. And Matt's played with me ever since. And Christopher's been with us for maybe, Matt and Christopher are like best buddies. And Hoffy's not even a, wasn't even a bass player. Hmm. He's a producer and engineer, so he He like can play everything, right? It's one of those guys. Yeah. But now he's a really good bass player now. Yeah, um, what's when, <laughs> look, I, I try and explain this to people. You gotta get the albums for sure. And then you got to go see you got to go see the live shows. It's freaking insane. I, I think, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, we just go fucking go ape shit. I mean, we don't know, and I just think it's very visceral in the way that we approach. Like it's like the last show of our lives, you know. And we do that every night, and I don't know any other way to do it, you know. And Matt doesn't, and Christopher, we're just like, you know, a few wild animals up there, you know. <laughs> Is it, do you feel it? Do you feel frustration that you, I mean, are, are you gonna, do you, you don't have a live album? No, we don't. Are you gonna do that? Do we you should. think it would get it done? Do you think you'd be able to capture it? I think so. I think we could. Uh, I mean, the hardest part is really acoustic guitar live is a difficult thing to kind of capture that, make that sound like an acoustic guitar. But uh, yeah, I think we could capture it live. We, sh- we People ask that all the time. Because it is such a different animal. I mean, the, I think, I mean, it's a high compliment when people are like, oh, it's better than the albums, you know. It, it, it's, it's. Uh, I think it's more of an experience. I mean, th- to get people during parts of the show that, you know, that people want to fight during this time, people are crying, <laughs> you know, and you'll see, right? You'll see like a that. military guy and a, and a fucking hippie in there and uh, you know and then some guy from some other completely different background yeah. but somehow they found this secret band you know that's like this is our band this is our my band but oh it's that guy's band too but that's okay well fuck it we're in this together <laughs> we're bros yeah, yeah. right <laughs> bikers hippies surfers i mean it's like let's all let's all go get some right 
that's freaking yeah no it's it's awesome if people get a chance to see that it's like um yeah you 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 got to go check it out uh dude I, what's the matador about the matador yeah matadors earlier that was actually the first song they used on sons of anarchy mm-hmm. um that but it was off of my first ep it was already recorded uh matador i wanted to do a song that you couldn't tell if it was a man um, killing people or a man killing or a matador. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just like that kind of loose. Um, a, a thing where you can't tell, mm-hmm. really. And I, I, I want to leave it up to the listener whether they decide, is this a man killing people in the light of day in public in front of people? Or is this the? Or is he talking about a bullfighter? Yeah, you know that's kind of a wild concept. Kind of, and I don't know where they right. <laughs> How about carnage? Carnage is another dark one. Um, that one, my idea was um, some kind of warfare comes to where you live. Some kind of either either it's nuclear, viral, or something, and you have to take your family and go hide down in the basement. And it's a, a kind of a narrative, so it starts, and we all just go hide down in the basement. And I feel like the main character is kind of the, the father figure, and then um, you don't know what's happening outside. You're, everyone's just hiding, and it just gets darker and darker, and and people start kind of losing their minds. The Madman. Uh, Madman's just. You're going all murder songs. <laughs> you know, I, I just thought to myself, I'm like, well, that's all murder songs. And, you know, and like you said earlier, you got the sweetest songs, you got the most romantic songs, and you've definitely provided some very nice evenings for me and my wife to hang out and have a very pleasant time. You've also provided me with like nice soundtracks for the darkness. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I love that. I mean, the thing is, I, I don't know why people don't dive into the fucking dark side of the pool, you know? It's like there's so <laughs> Welcome much. Welcome to Jonko Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much, you know, in on, in those shadowy parts, like movies like that and stuff like that. Like That's a po- powerful, primal thing that I think is cool that, that should be explored. I think I'm lucky that I can sing in the way I can, that I can be tender at some moments when I, when I have a love song or I have something that needs to be, and then on the other side of the hand that to be more aggressive and loud and howling. Um, but yeah, the madman's another just serial killer kind of <laughs> murder song that it's just like you, you can't, he's undeniable. He's, he's just all powerful and he's coming after you. It's just scary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I never, I never have thought about the fact that you write murder songs before. Um, until you said it today, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's the whole thing." There's a bunch of those murder songs. Every uh, album at least has at least yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at my list. I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's oh yeah, oh darling, what have I done? Oh yeah, that's that's an absolute freaking." That one's fucking twisted, though. Oh, that, totally. That, that one's that one's about a, a man who thinks. And I don't even know how I come up with this bullshit, but like <laughs> how, how who thinks in order to get the affection of his woman and that he starts killing people and collecting basically collecting these lives and these killing these people as like a sign of like the ultimate gift to give to this woman kind of in his mind thinking that she's going he's going to win his her affection due to whatever this illusion (laughs) how about the pilot uh the pilot feels like i love this song uh 
the Highwaymen by oh, yeah. Jimmy Webb. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't off that thing, but it's it's that one's just kind of just about kicking ass, kind of like <laughs> like <laughs> kicking ass and taking names, right? right? Is that part? Of, yeah, that's part yeah, of the pilot. That's part, huh? of, that's part yeah. of the pilot. I, I mean, that one's. I, I like how it starts. You know, you start with the pilot, and basically, it kind of just sets a, sets the table for just a pilot, and then it goes fighter pilot, and then it goes outlaw, and then it's just like <laughs> town. What is it? The one? Yeah, kicking ass, taking names, yeah. go town to town, killing dreams. Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. You know, you did the the album with the Joey White theme throughout it, and that's so that's that's like a what is it a rock opera? What is it? Is it a concept album? I guess is what we call yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's where you got this whole story, this whole thread of of a couple. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And you know, it sounds like they meet when they're young. You got some freaking great lines, man. Just great, great stuff. What what made you decide to go? Hey, I'm going concept album. I've always wanted to. I mean, I always look at my songs as little movies, little mini movies, and the idea of, of building a whole narrative um, around those, linking those also. It's it's a linear thing, which I don't even know. Most concept albums are, are seem really loose. Like even if you listen to Dark Side of the Moon mm-hmm. or something, it's not like you jump from one thing to the, another, you know, and that's this guy's whole road. I, I, did, I don't know. I, I'm, I've always been fascinated by war and soldiers and people going off to war and then coming back and all this thing. And so I had some songs already, and I was like, I want to do a concept album. And then I said, oh, and then I do it now. And I thought, oh, I could put this song here or this, kind of start changing names, put this song over here, and then build this whole arc of this guy's lifetime. You know, it's basically a love story. Or I, I think it's a love story, but it's... In a, in a white buffalo kind of way. Right. <laughs> in a murderous sort of way. <laughs> a dark a dark thing. So they start off, they meet each other, they fall in love, but it's kind of this forbidden love. And so they have to go leave the small town they're from. And he finds out pretty quickly that he cannot provide for his family. So he joins the military, goes off to war, kills, feels like kind of a killing machine, and then comes back still kind of bloodthirsty and and, and not assimilating kills again uh at home and and then it's kind of skews back into a love story kind of or at least this his road to redemption kind of and the idea that and the one thing is the power of love or the power of his woman is what makes him feel human or halfway human again and um it basically goes the whole arc to his life at the end he's he's gonna die and he's kind of questioning god and and wondering after all this bad shit I've done in my life, like, am I am I in there? Are you up there? You know, just still kind of confused and, and conflicted, but trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. <sighs> man, freaking all all just great stuff, man. I don't, I, wherever you're getting it from, I hope those little magic nuggets that go into your brain, hope or enter your brain or are produced in your brain, I hope they just freaking keep on coming, man. Um, Hey, did your son play lead guitar for you one time at House of Blues? He did many times. Okay. Well, my, I mean, my, I only old, saw my, my oldest son, Tanner, um, who is, we've tried to add a fourth guy sometimes, you know? We've always like this power trio kind of thing with an acoustic guitar is ridiculous, really. <laughs> but uh, um, 
we would try to add a fourth guy, but it always felt like it kind of took away from, I mean, all we were kind of dynamics, you know, so we get really big and we get really quiet and we get really big. And with three, that seems to work really well. And you add another thing, but Tanner is, when he's at his, on his game and at his best, has been maybe my favorite fourth kind of member <laughs> during it. Yeah, he's an animal. Right on. What, so what's, what's up next? It's What's the future it's, hold? It's a weird time. I mean, you know, it's like I had an album come come out during this, you know, COVID. during the COVID and the pandemic, and and touring stopped. We had, I mean, a shitload of shows. You know, shows going all of 2020 um, and beyond. You know, we were going to go all the way around the world, all over the world. You know, at least places that we'd have some history, and it's just that just all stopped. That all dried up, and so there's nothing. That's all being postponed to hopefully when we do it. I mean, our first tour that we were going to do in April, that's going to be a whole year. We're going to go back to Europe in April, and then hopefully stuff will start opening up. But I don't know, really. The future is is, is, is uh, unknown for sure, <laughs> to say the least. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to continue. I was really proud of this this you know recent piece of work that I did, um, which almost was going to start out as a concept as well. Uh, what um, was the concept going to be? This one was one time we were tr- we were touring, traveling. We were on the, like the eastern seaboard, and uh, I keep seeing these uh, these uh, rooftop decks up on top of these kind of Victorian houses, and I'm like, what the, what are those? You know, and and the drummer was like, oh, those are called widows' walks, and those are the wives or significant others of captains and uh, whatever fishermen, whalers, or stuff. Would you know the they would their husbands would leave and, and go do their jobs, but not return for many months or many weeks. And the wives would go up kind of scouting, looking, longing for their husbands to come home. And I just thought like, Oh, that's, you got it. It's all right there. Right. I mean, you have the romance, you have the drama, you have the, the sea, the power, you know? And, um, just the story was already there. I was like, Oh, it's going to be easy. And so I started, Writing some of those, which there's a song called Widow's Walk. There's another one, Sycamore, that made the album. Mm-hmm. There's a couple that are still on there. But then I had these other songs that I was like, because it's confining. You know, if you're like, especially when I think of a concept album as a narrative, to be like, oh, well, there's this song about the fires in California in 2018, or there's this song about that. It wouldn't really fit in the construct of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of abandoned the idea without not entirely kind of some of the songs made it and then inadvertently other songs would have other angles angles and concepts and water and uh uh longing and and lost loves and all kinds of stuff that ended up kind of getting into there and and, and being part of the writing but way looser you know (laughs) well it's a freaking it's another another great album and you know i always talk about there's there's not too many bands in my opinion, that can do five awesome albums in a row. Like Black Sabbath, they did it. Zeppelin, they did it. Metallica, close, but they did it, right? There's not too many bands that can do five awesome albums in a row. And part of it is, I think, what you said earlier, you know, you were at this level where, you know, if if you would have done that first demo and gotten picked up by whatever big record company and had a big bus and all this nice stuff and 
you probably didn't. You probably wouldn't have been able to squeeze out even two more good albums. But man, you were there, and and you're knocking out every album that you. I don't know what number you're on right now, but it's it's more than five, and you're still freaking putting out awesome work. And I don't know what the future holds, but I do know this: when you're back on the road, we will be there. Well, thank you kindly. <laughs> you got any uh, any last thoughts, man? No, I just appreciate you. I appreciate you. You know. I appreciate that I'm a part of so many people's lives and often the, the terrible parts of their lives that that I get people coming up to me uh, saying how I helped them through this moment, a divorce or, or, or being in the military or death of somebody super close to them. Um, and I'm proud to be that. Uh, you know, for a while, it's odd because I'm actually not that serious of a dude. You know, I'm pretty like if you went drinking with me, you're like that guy, really? You know, <laughs> and then, but there's but, like a I guess there's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing, right? It kind of is. I mean, I do these silly episodes, these things called in the garage. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that shit? Yeah, yeah. So I do. It's just me in my garage, and I make some stupid entrance where I'm spinning and twirling or something, and then. I kind of bullshit for two, three, five minutes about nothing. I'm just kind of rambling. And then, but it's kind of comedic. And then then I just go into something probably dark and heavy, some song that I have that's in my catalog, and I'll play a song, and then that's it. But it is kind of the duality of my persona or my, not my persona, just who I am, that there's, but it's just like everything, I suppose. There's, you know, laughter and there's love and there's, you know, different sides of the coin. There's the light and the dark, and so I have that. And I explore that, and I explore that in music as well. Well, thanks for taking us on the road with you down that down that path. And like I said, look, I know I'm coming out dark because that's sort of that's sort of where I tend to go. But man, there's you know a bunch of beautiful songs on there. Um, the, the best music for you can apply it to just about every part of your life. So thanks for coming on, man. Freaking awesome. Thank you for having me. You think maybe take it out with one more jam? Shit, you got it. (laughs) Something off the new album. Yeah, this is off the new album. This one's called No History. Yeah. Um, Get some. my dreams in the wishing well It seems they all get lost in time Time don't fight fair It's simply unaware I write myself a different story One that's filled with twists and turns and life is on fire Where I might get burned Ride it off to a lesson learned Now I feel in the comes that there won't be love for everyone you can't hold the hands of time it's only here and now nothing more oh, oh, oh. it's only one way to be free no history
crashing in Living in the past is a waste of your life You can't rewind Leave it all behind What if morning never comes Build your tomorrows out of today They're all gonna go When nobody knows I feel Awesome, man. Thanks for coming down, brother. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And with that, Jake, the white buffalo, Smith, has left the building. By the way, I forgot to mention this. You can find him on the interwebs at thewhitebuffalo.com, on Facebook at thewhitebuffalo, Instagram, buffaloco, buffaloco. I'm certain maybe crazy buffalo? Is it... I think it was B-U-F-F-A-L-O-C-O. Buffaloco. Yeah. Yes. Twitter, Blanco Buffalo. Yeah, that's the one I mean. Right? So, yeah. and then YouTube. There's also a YouTube channel, The White Buffalo. Where he puts out those little videos he was talking about. That's that, man. Um, awesome to have him down. Jake, thanks for coming down. And Echo. Yes, sir. There is some darkness and some light in the world. It is true. I think uh, it was interesting to come and bring, you know, for for those of us that didn't go deep, because you mentioned White Buffalo mm-hmm. a lot. The Buffalo Blanco. You mentioned them yep. from time to time. So those of us that didn't go deep into, you know, exploring like who this was that you'd mentioned from time to time, it, it was good to kind of bring them to light. I understand now. Yeah. Kind, kind of recognize. I recognize. You kind of recognize, don't you? <laughs> yeah. At what exactly. point? At what point did you go down? Before we started recording, and he was sorted sorting out his little. Yeah, test I was like, mm, okay. Actually, when he rolled in, and, and you know, when someone starts talking, especially a big guy like him, I think they start talking. You're like, oh, you have a singing voice right now. Oh, Maybe you I tell noticed, that, huh? You know why though? I think because you know, like I used to when I used to make like more, um, like how should I say, like narrative. Type videos and I, I, yes. I would hire a lot of voiceover people. Yes. And I did some voiceovers <laughs> for Echo Charles. Sure. Yes. So a lot of these professional voiceover people 
like the, you listen to their demo or some some of the guys like I'd call up on the phone and mm-hmm. when they answer the phone I'm like mm, I I see what you're working with there mm-hmm. already just them talking one guy one guy was like he put on you could tell he put it on to answer the he's phone he's like hello and you're yeah. like yeah I'm looking for um Mike Jacobs the uh, voice actor and he's like one second please hello <laughs> 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 yeah, actually, that's essentially what happened. Except he just op- out out the gate. He was he was performing. Oh, he was okay. he was uh, auditioning straight out on his own. But the thing is, I emailed him so he knew I was gonna call. So of course. But nonetheless, when I heard Jake talk, I was like, oh, I, it hit me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, I, I see you. Um, and then got some pipes. Yes, sir. Yeah. And then that's why I was gonna ask him. Like, so he you didn't take any voice lessons or anything, no. but he just got the. Got the talent yeah. out of the gate. Just yes. good. Um, Legit. So, uh, yes. So it was at that point, I think, is when it started to hit me. And then, yeah, the first song was really, really good. And then the second song was really, really good. <laughs> that's that's just the absolute tip of the iceberg, man. They're gold all throughout those albums, man. Yeah. Legit. I'm looking into it. Well, there's darkness in the world, as we heard. Yes. It's true. Also some light. Yes. We talk about the darkness, but we want to move towards the light. What do you got? How can we move towards the light? Yes, always be moving towards the light. You got to embrace the darkness every once in a while. For but sure. at the end of the day, you That's don't want to just hang doing. out in darkness the whole time. That's why we're writing songs called Carnage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Check. And so, what are we doing? We're keeping ourselves capable mm-hmm. as opposed to incapable. We are keeping ourselves healthy, which allows us to be capable which allows us to get out of the darkness if need be. So this is what we're doing. We're working out. We're reading. You read a lot. I do. I read way more than I did before. Who was I just talking to? Somebody. I think it was Daryl Cooper. Mm-hmm. About like, bro, I didn't grow up just, oh, there's a book. Let me start reading books. Yeah. But now I'm sort of like that. Like, oh, that looks like a Yeah, well, he said, where'd book. you grow up? And you said Kauai. He said, I wouldn't have read either if I grew up in Kauai. <laughs> More stuff to do. Which, that was a good point, good for point, sure. valid point. Not that San Diego sucks, though. I think I'm just True. more mature and understand the value more. You know how, like, when you read, a lot of times it's like, I'm reading, you know, I guess, <laughs> as, far as, as far as reading goes. Anyway, we're doing a lot of stuff to keep ourselves capable. Look, through, okay, let's go back to working out. Through workouts, our bodies take a beating. It's the nature of working out, really. True. You work out, take a beating. True. Then you recover from that beating. Those are called gains. And we want to perpetuate gains. But you got to perpetuate beatings as well. So through The beatings are the darkness. The gains are the light. Are the light. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Oh. Anyway, so your joints will take a beating. So no worries. We got some good supplementation for those joints and for other stuff. So Jocko Field is a line of high quality, tip, top, top tier quality Supplementation. Anyway, joint warfare, joints. Keep your jo- keep your joints in the game, 100%. Super krill oil, same deal. Some antioxidants in there too. Super healthy for us. Just a healthy situation, the mm. krill oil. Vitamin D. And I'm going down the line, not in particular order. I'm going down the line in the order that I take them straight up. Every single morning, by the way, I'm back on the discipline, um, disciplined routine. Thanks for the suggestion, too, by the way. Unless, okay, vitamin D, uh, immunity, keep the immunity up. Also, cold war for immunity. These are critical in staying in the game. And if you don't believe me, try not take them. I don't try not take them, but I'm just saying 
theoretically. If you want to test Echo's theories, yeah, go ahead and try it. We don't recommend it. Yeah, especially if you took them for a long time, then stop taking them. That's when you get you see. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like if you stop drinking. If you've been drinking for a long time, you stop drinking. How like how much energy you have the next day? It's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in a matter of speaking. <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Also, discipline the supplement. Okay, it's like a whole thing. It is a whole thing. multiple choices. Yes, multiple choice. Wait, what is discipline? Yes, because you can have discipline pills, capsules. You can have discipline powder. And you can have discipline in the cans. Yes, the whole line of discipline is true. And I, it, it sorted itself out and it makes sense to be like, okay, so discipline powder I take pretty much every day. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Take it before workout. That's mainly the thing. But if I don't work out that day, just take it in the morning. Boom, kind of get off to a good sort of start. You know? Um, the can, I use it as essentially an energy drink. Except for that you don't feel like junk. Yeah, and it's like more refreshing than an energy drink. So it's kind of like a, like a, I don't know, a refreshing energy drink. Okay. Multiple flavors, by the way. Um, and then the pills, that's sort of like on the go. I only took the pills one time. It's just, Really? Yeah, it doesn't. I've taken the pills many times. Yeah, it hasn't rolled into my routine as uh, seamlessly as maybe in your situation. It's nice to get that little hitter. Yep, it's true. It's so, nice to get that little hitter, boy. I, I would imagine so, yes. But Jocko White Tea, we got that as well. We also got Mulk, so look, you need supplementation. We talked about we talked about the gains being the light. Well, yes. you need something to build the light with. It's true. From a physics point of view, sure. when you want to make gains, you need protein. Mm-hmm. You might as well have protein that tastes like a dessert. It's true. <laughs> uh, Get yourself some mulk. Yeah, it's true. So my Son, he's four. He'll be four this month. Goes into the closet. This was not yesterday, the day before. Day before yesterday. Goes into the closet, gets uh, the peanut butter milk. Mm. Not the kid. Don't worry, your kid one. He and he says, can we make some milkshakes? Straight up. Isn't it awesome that your son wants something as much as you want him to have it? Yes. Here, go. Like, how often do you get to say to your kid, yes, they're begging you to do something that's going to make them healthier, stronger, and a better person? Yeah, exactly right. Go. Have some milk. I'll make, I'll make all the milk you want. How's that sound? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> it's like them asking you, hey, can I go outside and do some push ups? Like, do you yeah. mind if I do that? Do you mind if I go outside and do a bunch of eight count bodybuilders just to get some? <laughs> and you're like, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, can I have some milk? Yes, you can. It's the Let same me feeling. Mix it up for you. Yep. Let me throw it in the blender, throw it in the shaker, and just make one up for you. Yeah, exactly right. It's like, okay, you know how we play, you know, where we want to be playing. We we want to be playing the long game, right? Strate- mm-hmm. Strategic over tactical. Yes. So every once in a while, and I've said this before, it's true. Every once in a while, you get one of those golden diamond nuggets mm-hmm. that is beneficial short-term and long-term. They're rare. They're not every day. They're not every day at every corner. They're not. They're rare, but they're there. And Mulk is one of them. Straight up one of them. <laughs> Salmon sashimi uh, is another one. That's my opinion. Jocko so, White Tea. Did we say Jocko White Tea? Uh, you mentioned you it. Sure. Certified organic. Refreshing, uh, refreshing Jocko White Tea in the tea bags and in cans, too. Yes. By the way, my wife is on those, on that kick mm-hmm. still for the last like. You can get this half. stuff at originmain.com or you can get it at the vitamin shop around the corner. Yes. The vitamin shop around the corner. You have to wait. Go get some. 
It's true. Speaking of originmain.com, other stuff on there. Notably, jeans, American-made denim. Straight up from the fabric that is fabricated. <laughs> yep, right. jeans are available. <laughs> T-shirts are available. Boots are available. Rash guards are available. Anything that you basically you need to cover your body. Boots. You need to cover your body. Otherwise, it's going to get scraped. It's going to get cold, and you're going to be naked, Yeah, which is not good That's in many cases. In most cases. So get some clothes. Get some American-made clothes. Get some American-made clothes that are functional. Functional. And that's where my judgment stops. You have to judge the other part. <laughs> you. It's true. Speaking of clothes and representing and wearing things, Jocko has a store. Straight up. Represent on the path. T-shirts. Discipline, discipline equals freedom. Discipline <laughs> equals freedom. And it does, by the way, in case you didn't know. Shirts. Hoodies. Hats, beanies, you know what else? Hardcore Recondo t-shirts. Hardcore Recondo t-shirts, yes. One of a kind. That I happen to be wearing right now. Are wearing right now, totally legit. Oh, big time. I'd, I'd, I haven't, I got just got this, what, a week ago? Yeah. And so I've worn it maybe two, three times, two of which we were recording, not going, I don't really go out in public that much. But no one's recognized get, get it. Get mobbed, yet. do you? When you go out well, public. you know. <laughs> <laughs> the moment someone recognizes this shirt, that's going to be a level of respect that's a little bit above the normal yeah. level of respect. You got to be. You got to be in the game and on the path. Yes, sir. To yeah. get on board with that. Also, what else on there? Uh, anyway, a lot of good stuff. Um, I was going to mention yes, shorts, board shorts, functional. I'm going to do a whole thing. I'll, I might even make a video. About the shorts, because they're good. They're functional and look good, and they're like double functional board shorts. <laughs> they are. You should. That sounds like a marketing campaign. Double functional. Double functional. They are. Nonetheless, JockoStore.com. This week you, you can get also get some Warrior stuff. Kid soap there, right? Yes, sir. There you can. Warrior Kid soap. Go get some of that. Also, uh, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't yet. Which, if you haven't yet, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should just move on with your life. I, I don't know. <laughs> Leave sure. a review, whatever. We also have some other podcasts. We have the Jocko Unraveling podcast, which used to be called The Thread. It's back. It's in its full glory. We have, we, we re-released or we are re-releasing the threads that were removed. Mm-hmm. Now we have the unraveling. We have some new unravelings coming right now. They're out. They are. Grounded podcast. We haven't done one of those in a little while. We owe you. Warrior Kid Podcast. Haven't done one of those in a little while. We owe you. But, you know, there's a lot of lessons you need to hear multiple times, kids. (laughs) So jump on them. We also have a YouTube channel where Echo takes and he he enhances some videos, especially if it's a video that's very short and you could easily pay attention to. Then he puts a bunch of enhancement in there to make sure you can watch it for two minutes and 30 seconds. But when he does a three-hour video, he doesn't put any enhancements in there. It's just a plain black and white video of two heads or three heads, people talking. Yeah. And for some reason, that's the way Echo's organized it, which is his call. you know. But if you want to see what Jake Smith, the white buffalo, looks like, if you want to figure out why they call him the white buffalo, because he kind of represents that. The white buffalo. Yeah. In a in a visual kind of way. Sure. Oh, yeah.
come and check it out. Subscribe to the YouTube the YouTube channel. Hit like. <laughs> smash the like button. I don't think people. I wore out that joke a few months ago. What the smash the smash like button? Smash the like. No, smash the subscribe. Yeah. Like, comment, and subscribe. Okay, I, that's so weird. Yeah, there's there's a new one out there. Uh, Is there a new way of saying it? A new trend. They say hit the like button and leave a comment to help out the algorithm. Something along those lines. Because there's like an algorithm that if it has likes and inner engagement or whatever, okay. interactions or whatever, it's sort of like, oh, this is a significant video. So let's sort of sort of push it or whatever. Okay. Well, what we're not doing this big campaign to get yeah. you to fix the algorithm. You know what? If you like the videos, watch them. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Check it out. That yeah. way Echo can get in your head with his little videos. Yeah. <laughs> it won't be me getting in your head, though, obviously. I, know we, I think yeah, we know who's in whose head. Nonetheless, yes, YouTube, video version, all good. People are agreeing with me, I think. You don't put effects on a podcast or on this particular podcast, put it that way. I'm not talking a massive, I'm talking an occasional little Easter egg rolling in. Maybe something blows up over there. Maybe <laughs> smoke. Maybe there's smoke. <laughs> All right. Some okay. smoke coming out of Jake's guitar. Oh, yeah. You Maybe. see what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. All Actually, right. that's, if there's one thing that doesn't need it, effects, it's Jake. Yeah, no. <laughs> he didn't need it effects today. Yeah. It could be cool, though. I don't know. Jury's still out. Nonetheless, yes, YouTube. Also, Psychological Warfare. It's an album. Not like White Buffalo album. No. Different. More like, well, we'll just call it Psychological Warfare for now. So what it is is. It's a spoken it, word album. Yes. Spoken word. Yeah, and those words are speaking to you on your <laughs> moments of weakness. So if you're about to skip the workout, but I came close to skipping a workout too, by the way, yesterday. That's why you're looking skinny. <laughs> <laughs> you, having, you, having, you having fun now? Is that, uh, anyway, almost skipped the workout. You think if I'm annoyed while we're doing this right now, do you think everyone's annoyed or it's, you think it's just it's, me? It's very possible. Yeah, it's very possible <laughs> everyone's annoyed. But uh, nonetheless, I think this is a, a moment of value in my opinion. Okay. I was about to skip the workout. I've listened to this. I didn't listen to Psychological Warfare. This was yesterday. You know why? I didn't have to. I listened to it so many times before when I really needed it that it was like it was sort of in the Rolodex back there, sort of playing. So I listened to it virtually in my mind. And you did the workout. I did the workout straight up. 100%. That's awesome, man. Good job. Yeah. But Still I do. Still looking scary. <laughs> I, do, <laughs> I do play that game, that one that you play or we're, we were talking about that. It's like, hey, if you have those moments of like, oh, yeah, like, man, I really should – Hurry up and get to what I was going to do. Well, you know, any, any excuse you come up with your head yeah. that you're going to skip the last part of the workout of the workout, you punish yourself with extra work, yeah. you know, for even thinking that. I play that game 100%. Check. Uh, also, if you want to have a visual representation to kind of keep you squared away, go to flipsidecanvas.com by my brother Dakota Meyer, making cool graphical art to hang on your wall. Graphical. Sure, graphical. Also, uh, you know, pick up some of Jake's music. You know, go download the music or order it or whatever. Um, however you're going to get that music, go get it, man. Go get it. Jake's out there making it happen. Also got some books. The Code. The Evaluation. The Protocols. Leadership Strategy and Tactics. Field Manual. Warrior Kid 1, 2, and 3. Mikey and the Dragons. Discipline equals Freedom Field Manual. Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership. 
pick up some of those books if you like what we talk about on here. Also have a leadership consultancy called Echelon Front. If you need help with leadership inside your organization, go to echelonfront.com. If you want to get engaged in the online brigade that we have where I talk about leadership, I interact. You want to ask me a question? You're thinking, oh, I wish I could ask Jocko a question. You can. You can literally come on there and ask me a question. Doing two to three times a week, I'm on there, live interaction, go to efonline.com. Leadership is not something that you just get and now you're good. And you know what, maybe you, don't wanna, maybe you wanna ask me about jujitsu, maybe you wanna ask me about some relationship that you're in. Whatever you wanna ask me, come and ask me. efonline.com. We have the muster. The next muster is in Phoenix, Arizona, September 16th and 17th. Then we're going to be in Dallas, Texas, December 3rd and 4th. Go to ExtremeOwnership.com for details. We've sold out all these things that we've done. These ones are less seating because of social distancing. So they're going to sell out even quicker. We have EF Overwatch. If you need leadership inside your organization, you want experience leadership, go to EFOverwatch.com where we have candidates that are proven leaders from the military that understand the principles we talk about. Go there and hire someone. EFOverwatch.com. We also have America's Mighty Warriors.org. That is Mama Lee, Mark Lee's mom, who is on a mission to do good, to help service members, to help their families, to help Gold Star families, to help people that are deployed around the world. If you want to get involved or donate, go to America's Mighty Warriors.org. And if you enjoy overdoing things and you want to hear my more of my conspicuous questions or you feel like you just can't live without a little bit more of Echo's illogical inquiries, <laughs> then you can find us on the interwebs, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on the Facebook. Echo is at Echo Charles and I am at Jocko Willink. And Jake the White Buffalo can be found on the interwebs at thewhitebuffalo.com, Facebook, the White Buffalo, Instagram, Buffaloco, Twitter, Blanco Buffalo, and his YouTube channel is the White Buffalo. And thanks again to Jake for coming on the show, for sharing your vision, your voice with us. Thanks for taking care of our veterans. And thanks for adding a soundtrack to my life and to all the veterans out there. Thanks for stepping up into the madness, into the darkness. And thanks for not backing down. And to the police and law enforcement and firefighters and paramedics and EMTs and dispatchers and correctional officers and border patrol and secret service and all the first responders out there, thanks for keeping the darkness at bay on the home front. And everyone else out there, the words from a white buffalo song called When I'm Gone. He says, I feel it closing in on me. I got to be all I can be. In this life, there ain't no guarantee. You don't get no shit for free. What does that mean? It means you got to get out there and get after it. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. Out.